I'm Don Ratney, the children's pastor here at Rockbrook. This weekend in Rockbrook for Kids, we are completing a five-week, you asked for it, kids edition, answering some questions that kids ask about God. Like, does God really exist? Well, our answer to that, our lesson in a sentence for that day was, I believe in God the Father. Can I trust the Bible? The Bible is a very special book. It is the very words of God. Did God really create? I believe that God created me. Is Jesus Christ God? I believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son. And this weekend, we asked and answered the question, could Jesus really rise from the dead? And our lesson in a sentence, our answer this week is, I believe in Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and raised on the third day. If you have kids in Rockbrook for Kids, ask them about that lesson in a sentence. They've heard it six to eight times. They should know it. You've heard it once. You can impress your children with that. <laughs> for today, though, I'm here to, ask, or to answer some of your questions about the end times and about Jesus' return and a basic prophetic theme. Today I'm going to cover from eternity past to eternity future in the 29 minutes that I have remaining. That's a lot to cover. And I know that for some people the end times is a very passionate, even contentious issue. Please understand this presentation is not an invitation for a debate. You know, I, I, I don't care what Pastor so-and-so says or the writings of Dr. Who ever who may disagree. However, if you have an honest question about what I say or about what I don't say, please ask me. I enjoy talking about the Bible very much. Just ask. I also want to say that my message today represents a traditional, literal, historical, conservative approach to understanding the entire Bible in general and specifically eschatology, which is the study of our end times or final things. So now with that preamble over, now it gets to the good stuff. Let's get started. The first thing we need to understand is God has a plan. At some point in God's eternal, ever-living, never-beginning existence, Genesis 1 says that God in three persons of the Trinity created everything that there is. In six days through spoken words. Let me hit some of the highlights of those early chapters in Genesis. Because in Genesis chapter 12 will be the biggest prophetic event that God gives. In Genesis 1 we read God created. In Genesis, the latter part of Genesis 1 he created man and woman in his own image. In Genesis chapter 3 we have what's called the fall of man where man rebelled against the word and the will of God and sin and death entered into the world and became the birthright of all who live here. In Genesis 4 and 5, the people observed God and, and, and they became fruitful and multiplied and they filled the earth. And in Genesis 6 through 9, and because of their rebellion, God judged this sinful and rebellious mankind through a universal flood. Noah and his family were the only survivors, and God reshaped our physical earth into its current form. Following that, the people once again were fruitful and multiplied, but then, then it happened. God did something big, really, really, really big. 
In Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. And it's called the Abrahamic covenant. You see, a covenant is something that is unbreakable. And it was made with Abraham, so it's obviously going to be called the Abrahamic covenant. I'm a children's pastor. I bring toys. In Genesis 12, it is if God took out his compass and he looked around and he said, of all the possible directions that I could go, I'm going this way. Well, what way was this way? Well, that way was a person. That way was a man. That way was Abraham. Abraham was a believer in God. He was a good man in the eyes of his friends and neighbors. And here's how it went down. One day, God came to Abraham and they had a face-to-face. That would be terrifying. And God promised Abraham three huge, miraculous promises. The first promise that God made was for a land. For a land. We need to remember that Abraham was a Bedouin, a wanderer, someone who moves with the food and the water supply. Abraham was wealthy, but he owned no land. Yet God's promise says that you will have a kingdom of extraordinary size borders. The second miraculous promise that he gave to him was that he would become a nation. And some of you who went to Sunday school remember this story where God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, you're going to have a child. But they were beyond childbearing years. Well, God kept his promise. Sarah conceived in her advanced years and Isaac was born. A miracle. The first of a nation. And we need to understand that at this moment in history, all the peoples were split into two groups. We have Abe's kids and not Abe's kids. Okay, Technically speaking, it's the Jews or God's chosen people or Israel and the Gentiles. The Gentiles just means everybody else. That's all Gentiles means. It just means the leftovers. Okay, You're either Abe's kids or you're not Abe's kids. And you'll notice on your chart that the thick line that says all people has now been broken into two. We have Israel, the chosen people, with the thick line, the people for whom God is now at work, and then we have the Gentiles down below. We need to understand that just because God is not working with that group, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love him. God still loves the entire world. God never excluded anybody All God said was, I am going to choose one man and his family as the avenue for my redemption, blessing, and reward. So what this means for prophecy is that God's promise to Abraham provides the framework for the rest of time. Now, for long after God's calling of Abraham, God was building And God was organizing this chosen person into a chosen family, into a chosen nation. Some of the the kings led Israel closer to God, some further away. Some of the prophets led them closer, some further away. But throughout this entire time, God was working his plan. It is as if there's like a chessboard. And God was setting the board 
up for his final, his checkmate of this world. Legos. I like Legos. And God was arranging the board just as he wanted it to be throughout this time. The key in this time, during this era, was God allowing his people to be conquered, for Israel, for Jerusalem to fall in 586 B.C. And at that time, they were removed from the land, they were taken prisoners, they were taken to Babylon. The most noteworthy of these prisoners was a guy by the name, a teen by the name of Daniel. And our first encounter with Daniel is that he challenged his captors regarding his diet. And in that challenge, he created the Daniel plan. As he grew old, not only did Daniel, or the Babylonian kings trust Daniel, but God trusted Daniel. God trusted Daniel so much that he gave him many prophecies concerning the future of Israel and the world. But most importantly, God gave Daniel the timetable for his plan. And that timetable is found in Daniel chapter 9. And in that, we see what God calls an era to be the times of the Gentiles. And this timetable was based upon a numerical pattern. Seventy sets of seven. Okay, let me do the math for you. That's 490-somethings. At the time, we didn't know what the period of time was for those 490-somethings. But in hindsight, we understand these somethings to be years. So 490 years. And in that prophecy in Daniel 9, God gave Daniel the one event that would start the countdown. And he says that event is when Israel can go back into the land. And the clock started. Nehemiah chapter 2, King Artaxerxes gives the law, gives the command that Israel can go back to its homeland. It can go back from Babylon to Israel. And the clock started ticking. Now, if you'll note on your, on your schedule, you will see that the line with whom God is working has moved from Israel to the Gentiles, since this is what's called the times of the Gentiles. And during this time, the Gentiles went wild with conquest. Four times in this 490 years, four world kingdoms conquered the entire known earth at the time, which, by the way, was another one of the prophecies that God entrusted to Daniel. But through this, remember, God has a plan God is working his plan. And as time continued to be marked, the Apostle Paul gives us a clue of what would happen next. Read this with me from Galatians 4.4. But when the right time came, God sent his son. When what time came? The right right time. God has a plan. God's working his plan. And Jesus came at the right time time, okay? At the right time, God sent his son. The clock continues to run. As Daniel predicted, 
the 69th week of the 70 would end with the Christ or the Messiah to be cut off, to be put to death. Cut off is just a kind of a genealogical word that says not only did they die, but they died without an heir to pass the family name on. So his family line was cut off. It's, a, it's kind of a, a technical word there. Okay, Jesus was put to death, and there was no one who would carry on his family name. Okay, that concluded the 69th week of the 70 weeks. Now, with just one more week, one more block of seven years remaining in God's plan, God did something completely unpredictable, never seen, never foreseen in the Old Testament, something for which there was no hint and no warning. God did something new. God put his plan on pause. It's as if he picked up his giant-sized remote control, pointed it at time, and said, stop. Pause here. And at the end of the 69th week, God paused his plan for something completely new, something completely unforeseen, and something that no prophet had prophesied. He created the church. And if you check out your timeline, you'll notice that no longer is the focus of God on the Gentiles, no longer is it on the Jews, but there is a new third group of people. And it is the church. It's not based on, on, it's, it's not based on ethnicity, it's based on belief in Jesus Christ. The the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell all believers. An action unique to the church age. Most of the remainder of the New Testament writings were given to the direction and order of the fledgling church. This mystery time, that it's a time in which we live, is called the church age. We are currently living in the church age. Now, the church age is undetermined. We just haven't been told how long it's going to go. No one, Jesus said, not even Jesus himself while he was here on earth, knows the day and the hour in which the church age will end. Nobody. God never gave us a clue, a hint, nothing about when this age will end, this age in which we live in. So, if someone tells you that they know when Jesus is coming back, in your mind, because it'd be rude to say it with your lips, in your mind say, if you knew anything about prophecy, there's one thing we know for sure, is that we don't know the time. It is undetermined in our minds. God the Father has got it all worked out. But if he didn't tell Jesus his only son, he's not going to tell me. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell Dr. Whoever. This church age goes on. It's described in the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 by seven stages or eras. And the church age ends with the removal of the church. And that's about as simple of an idea as you can be. If you take something away, it's gone. The church gets removed. The church age is over. 
Let's, let's, let me read for you that event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord forever. Comfort one another with these words. This event is what people call the rapture or the removal of the church. Paul also calls it our blessed hope. And when this church age is over, church age believers, living and dead, will go suddenly and unexpectedly from this world into God's presence to receive the promises that God made to those who lived during the church age. We will go into God's house, to the place where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. We will go to that place. Now, math quiz. If 100% of believers living and dead are removed from the earth to heaven, how many believers are left on earth? Your answer, please. Excellent. Good job. Pat yourself on the back. Go enjoy a Sunday after this. Not the day, the ice cream. With the ending of this mystery age of the church, Daniel chapter 9, Revelation chapter 4 and following, and the times of the Gentiles will be restarted. God picks up once again this huge remote, and now he hits play. And the 70th week of the 69 weeks will now begin. Remember, he paused it for the church age, and now he's going to restart it to complete its cycle. Okay? God has a plan, and God is working his plan. This time after the church is Daniel's 70th week. The 70th block is seven years. This is what's called the Great Tribulation. This is what the Bible refers to as the times of Israel or Jacob's trouble. The abomination of desolation. All these titles are given to this this seven-year period, the final period of the times of the Gentiles. This is going to be a terrible time. It's going to be a terrible time. Death, destruction, plagues, martyrdom, earthquakes, famine, starvation, war, hopelessness, open demonic attacks. These will all be commonplace within this very terrible final seven years. But do not despair. God will still work great works and great miracles. The Bible tells us that he will save untold multitudes from around the globe, from every nation, from every tribe, and from every tongue during this seven years. God still will be working, and he still will be merciful. So, as this 70th week comes to a conclusion, at their moment of imminent destruction, Israel will cry out, to God for help and salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ will return. But he will return not as a baby or an infant, meek and mild in the manger, but he will return as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will return as the terrible one. He will conquer the entire earth. It will all come into his domain. God has a plan. God's working his plan. And Jesus Christ 
will return. The 70th week will end. Israel will be saved, both physically and spiritually. Jesus will then gather and judge the remaining occupants of the earth. In Jesus' sermon on the Mount of Olives, called the Olivet Discourse, Jesus describes his judgment as a shepherd sorting out his sheep and his goats. To the goats, the unbelievers who survived the great tribulation, he says, depart into darkness. They leave and go into Hades to await their final judgment. To the sheep, the believers of this final seven years, his own people, he will say, enter into my kingdom. His physical, earthly kingdom. The believing dead from the Old Testament times will also be raised to receive their promises. What promises? The promises God made to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, which we talked about when we started this sermon so long ago. Oh, people say, surely God must be doing something new. Well, consider this. If the eternal God cannot be trusted to keep his promises for a few thousand years, what hope do we have that he will keep his promises to us? God can be trusted. God will keep his promise. God will keep his words. Jesus gives the descendants of Abraham and all who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gives them a nation of countless people as was promised to Abraham. He gives them a land in which Jerusalem is both its political and spiritual capital as was promised to Abraham. And the universal blessing, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of man, he will be the one sitting on King David's throne just as Abraham was promised. Math quiz, question two. If 100% of unbelievers leave this earth, how many unbelievers remain on the earth to enter into this kingdom? Your answer, please. Excellent. You guys are really good. This kingdom is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and the promised reward of all Old Testament believers. Revelation chapter 20 says this kingdom will last for 1,000 years, which is where we get the term millennial kingdom. It is not a creative title, but it is very descriptive. It will last for 1,000 years. Following this kingdom, the great white throne judgment where all unbelievers will experience their final judgment by God. Judgment based upon their level of rejection of Jesus and the evil and the disobedient works in which they did while they were alive. And then, after this great white throne judgment, it gets pretty foggy. God doesn't give us a lot, but here are a few things that he has given us. The earth is judged by fire and remade into a perfect world. This remaking is so catastrophic, it says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and earth will merge together into one physical place. And all people, believing Israel, believing Gentiles, and the blended church, lose that individual distinction and are simply called God's people for all eternity. From eternity to eternity in 24 minutes. The question you should ask about every sermon, about every lesson is, Pastor, so what? 
good information. So what? Well, the good thing is Jesus Christ was not silent here either. In that same Olivet Discourse, Jesus tells us how to live. Let me take and just shine a little bit of light on this teaching. Jesus uses a story about an authoritative master, three servants, and the master being away from, uh, away from the farm for a season. Reading right from the biblical text, the visual Bible illustrates Jesus' story this way. Let's watch. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, Wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. And give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not all of Jesus' stories and parables were warm and fuzzy. 
This one's quite scary. You see, Jesus has given to us spiritual gift. He's given to us a heart for people or peoples. He's given to us abilities at birth. He's given to us personalities with its strengths. He's given to us experiences that shape us and allow us to connect with other people. And Jesus is clear that He expects us to invest what He's given to us for His kingdom cause and to further His work on the earth. Unfortunately for many in the Master's household, they receive their gifts from the Master and they do nothing. Oh, I'm too busy at work. I have little children. I have busy big children. Oh, I'm so tired at the end of the day. My kid's schedule is brutal. I'm getting old. There are younger people here who have more energy to do the ministry than I have. Unfortunately, too many people in the master's household take their gift to church and sit on it. keeping it to themselves. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are not serving on a dream team, if you're not using your gift to serve Christ in this church and His purposes, to use Jesus' own word, you're taking your talent and you're hiding it. And as a pastor, I fear for you. We just heard what Jesus said in Matthew 25, and that's scary even to me. Personally, I am more worried about hearing His displeasure, the Master's displeasure for squandering my life and not using His gifts to the best of my ability than I am anticipating hearing, well done, good and faithful servants. I urge you, get off your gift. And serve Christ the Master until the day Christ returns or the day He calls you home. Today there are three things that I want you to know and one thing that I want you to do. And I invite you to stand, please. Please stand. I'm going to say the three things. I'm going to say it first and I want you to respond. Here we go. God has a plan. God is working His plan. plan. Jesus Christ is coming back. back. And if this is the cry of your heart, say this with me. I will serve the Master in anticipation of His return. Let's pray together. Jesus, it has been the prayer and the cry of Your people since You left our world. Even so, come back quickly, Lord Jesus. And may you find us being good and faithful servants while you were away. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.